We're going to read from Matthew. Chapter 17, from the first verse. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your word, for your son, for your spirit. You know each one of us as we sit here today, and your love is a jealous one as you look out over us. We pray that you'll speak truth into our hearts and lives. Not so much that our heads will be informed, but that our whole lives will be transformed. As you surround us with your presence and you speak truth into our hearts and invite us into deeper relationship with you. So will you take these words and make them live in the way that you intend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Really simple theme this morning, which is uh, the words of Jesus that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It is so, so counterintuitive. In fact, every time we talk about Jesus, you've got to say counterintuitive. Because his ways are so not our ways and yet... In our culture and in religion, we've managed to twist it so it seems like they are. Set the scene of this reading, which is a... Maybe we can go back into verse into chapter 17. And they were... You know, you picture Jesus wandering around that uh, shore of Galilee and, and the crowds continually following him and uh, tracking with him. And all these people, they get, they, get, they get word that this man, Jesus, is healing people. And so they figure, well, why not try? And so they surround him and, and continually say, please heal, please heal, please heal. And he does. Because the power of God at work in crowds of people who don't know the love of God is a very good way for God to say, this is what I'm like. And so one of these occasions, was a, there was a crowd uh, around Jesus and a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. This is verse 14 of chapter 17. And he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. They're pretty heavy duty. I mean, he's got these things. He has seizures and he throws himself into water. He throws himself into fire. 
And then he says um, a real kind of humiliating thing. He says, and I, I got your disciples to pray for my son and they didn't work. And Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here. Boys brought to him, he rebukes a demon in the boy and sets him free, just like that. Disciples kind of go, Huh. This is encouragement for those of us who, who go, Well, I prayed for somebody and nothing happened. So I conclude that God can't do it or doesn't want to do it. Wrong conclusion. It just might be that we need to learn. And we need to learn how to. I mean, I believe there's so many physical examples to the spiritual truths. So you have a disease and, I, and you come to me and you go, well, I want this, can you operate on me? And I go, no, I don't know how to. So you die. Or you go to somebody who's spent six years learning surgery and medicine or ten years or whatever and they operate and you're healed. To be a surgeon you probably need about eight or nine years of training. And yet somehow in the kingdom of God and in the Christian world you say Jesus is Lord and you lay hands on somebody and somebody doesn't get healed and you go, huh, God doesn't work. You say, well that's interesting. I mean, how arrogant and stupid can we be? It takes time, and it takes processing, and it takes learning, and it takes humbling. It takes becoming like a child. And so, Jesus responds to his disciples, because they asked him in private, not in front of the crowd. Why couldn't we drive it out? And he says, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. I wonder if he was smiling as they were scratching their heads. He seemed to say that if you track with me, there will be a time we're actually, in a funny kind of way, you'll look as good as I'm looking right now. You'll be able to make a difference instead of just going, how can we find a house for this guy with a seizure so that we can accommodate him and look after him for the rest of his life? And say, that's Christian mercy and grace, which it is. But I would contend and I would uh, suggest to you that much of what we are calling a supportive ministry right now is faithless ministry because we do not have the faith to believe that God will impact somebody's life that powerfully to bring about real healing. And the issue is not that God can't do it. The issue is that we have little faith. Now, we can either get really depressed with that and go, don't be so negative and don't be so hard on me, John. Or we can go, yeah, I'm a lifelong learner and I've always got more to learn and that makes total sense to me. All I need to do is continue learning. Here's the rub. How do you continue learning? If you're an adult and you're very sophisticated, how you learn is 
I'm going to attend lectures, read books, and intellectually try and understand this. And when I've got this thing all worked out in my mind, then I will start trying to apply it. But Jesus said, you need to change and become like little children. I've been to university on three continents now, which is really impressive. I haven't seen any five-year-olds attending lectures, ever. Why? Let's think about it. I think this is such a cool thing to, to sort of tease open. A little while later, these disciples, uh, these disciples had you know, been spoken to about Jesus saying, you know, you will do this stuff, but right now you need to learn. And they were in Capernaum and uh, they dealt with a tax collecting issue and uh, Jesus had given, uh, told them to go and find a coin in a fish's mouth and it was quite remarkable. So... They'd seen a demonic boy delivered. They'd seen, you know, uh, money come out of a fish's mouth. So they were walking along talking about that. I mean, how amazing is Jesus? No, they weren't. They were walking along saying, who do you think is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Be encouraged. You and I don't get it quickly. We're very self-centered. Like, how do I fit into this? And that's when Jesus said, they, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he probably said, well, it's a, it's, it's a good question. It reflects a lot about you. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And as he does that, he brings a little child who's nearby and he puts him in the center of that crowd and he says, let's pretend it's Mitchell. And he says, let's, uh, unless you change and become like this. What's he saying? Think about little children. Think about the qualities of little children. I wrote down a few. There's innocence. There's dependence upon others. There's trust. There's teachable. Children are easy to teach. They'll, they'll follow you into all kinds of places that, as long as they know that they're safe with you. They're playful. They love play. They're tender. They cry easily. They laugh easily. They rush to you and say, I've got an owie. I'm scared of the dark. I mean, whatever. They're not embarrassed most of the time. I'm talking about children who are secure. They're uninhibited. I'm sure every ch a teacher can speak of um, speaking to six or seven-year-olds and say, so what's going on in your home? And you shudder to know what they're going to tell about. Because they're uninhibited. They don't know that you don't say that about mummy and daddy. 
They're unashamed about needing support or comfort. They can't put those into words. They just know. Let me show you a few pictures. Have you got that there, please? This is, um, that is in a suburb called Rondebosch in Cape Town. It's an old Victorian house. And I remember... There's a, across the road from there is an is a, is a, a open common area. And there's some pine trees that grow there. And at four years old, I sat in the car with my mother and didn't want to go in there. I was very scared about going into that place. It was my nursery school. That's the next slide. We were all dressed like that, believe it or not. Red blazers, um, little owl on the thing, and uh, this was nursery school. Next one. I think I'm the bottom guy on the right there, but I'm not sure. In the background on the left is the back of Table Mountain. It's called Table Mountain, and that peaked mountain is actually called Devil's Peak. And I spent 25 years probably living under the shadow of that. Next one. That's Mrs. Cuthbertson. She was the headmistress of the nursery school. She beat me with a, she smacked me with a, what do you, a sneaker. We got punished there. Um, and I cried. I remember the first day of school. I went in there and my mother took us in, took me in. And we were in a nursery with, um, a whole lot of other boys, and Mrs. Branier, who is the nursery school teacher, was about, she was ancient. I mean, she, she was Mrs. Cuthbertson's mother, so she must have been 60 or 70 at that point. I don't know. She was probably 25, but I... <laughs> and and I, I remember to this day, on my knees, with a boy called Neil Banner kneeling next to me, screaming our heads off, crying. I, it just never goes away, that picture. Um, next, pr- pr- that's me. <laughs> Look at that, eh? Eat your heart out. Now, why do you respond like that when you see that picture <laughs> as opposed to this one? <laughs> Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm showing you these because It's a memory of my own childhood, obviously. But Jesus has a picture um, of what he wants us to be. Imagine if my mother never took me into that building because I was afraid. Imagine every fear a child has if you go, well, I don't want to push you beyond your comfort level, so we won't go in there, John. Part of being a child with a parent is breaking through fears and going into new circumstances, growing into that so that you actually become comfortable. And then you're no longer afraid of that place. That place becomes like a home, and then you move on, you grow into another place. Jesus said, Unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
unless you change. So I was in that place and uh, these are report cards from nursery school. The very first report card I ever got was, boy, June 1957. It's embarrassing. I, uh, I was three foot three inches and I weighed 31 pounds, believe it or not. John is always happy and cheerful. He is a dear little boy and has made a very good beginning to school life. It was the best report I ever got. Um, the next one in nursery, I'm only going to read you three, don't worry. I've got thousands of them. Um, John enjoys all, uh, what, no, this is physical activities. John enjoys all these organized activities. He is eager to do well and runs and jumps very nicely. <laughs> oh my, where John has had a happy half year, he's a jolly little boy, very keen, he should do well and he'll be promoted to the kindergarten next year. There's an interesting one in kindergarten. I'm not going to bore you with some of these things. John can count accurately up to 20. Never mind. There's one, uh, there's one here. That's headed um, painting. John enjoys this lesson, but does not show much artistic ability. That's what Audrey was talking about. Now that's not causing me great pain. There are many words spoken over us that are not true. They're spoken sincerely. They don't mean to do harm, but if we live under those, we die. And so little children get defined by the words of their parents. Many of us are living stifled lives because of our childhood, because of words spoken over us. And Jesus comes to say, I can actually set you free. I don't want to give a very um, intellectual talk this morning. I want to give a talk that tries to speak about the child that God desires us to be. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. A child is led into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't earn its way in. Think about this. If a child, if you see a young child and he's fearful, he's withdrawn, he doesn't play very much, he shows signs of insecurity, he's very controlled and serious and anxious, very scared of adventuring out, exhibits little joy or playfulness, never smiles, what would you conclude about that child? 
that child's four years old. I think we would probably conclude what's wrong. What's wrong in his home or her home? Why is he so inhibited? He's, He's demonstrating behavior that is not normal for a child who is in a secure home. Is he being abused? Is something happening? Are people beating him? You would be asking questions because your parameters and your paradigms for young children of three or four is playful, innocent, open, all the things we described. So, we look at uh, ourselves and the question we ask is, what does the spiritual child in us look like? I contend to you that many of us present a spiritual child image that if it was in the physical would give cause for real concern. I contend with you that many of us are actually very scared of God and are very shut down before God. And you know, if you catch a parent who is abusive, when they're challenged on it, the first thing they do is deny it. And they'll start explaining it and they'll keep little Johnny here and little Johnny will be quiet and they'll say, well, this is what we do and they'll explain to you what's going on in a way to cover up anything negative. Who's the parent in our lives? The parent is our minds. We censor ourselves all the time. So even when I ask you to stand up and say, do you want to be like little children and ask Jesus to heal you? There's probably a tug of war going on. Should I, shouldn't I? Am I going to be embarrassed? All that stuff. If we were all four years old and said, Jesus wants to heal you, would you stand up? They'd jump on their seats. Absolutely. Haven't learnt yet not to believe. Where does fruit grow? Fruit grows out of the heart, not out of the head. What is the hallmark of a child? When you're parenting a child and the child says, why? Start saying, why, very young. And for some season, anyway, when that child is young, the parent responds, you don't understand now, but daddy knows best. So just behave and eat your vegetables. Trying to give you illustrations that will cross over into the spiritual world and go, how do we ever grow in the spiritual world if we ignore the principles that are fundamental for our physical growth? And so Jesus says, how can I get your attention? How can I grow you up if every time you say why, you insist on an answer even though you will not understand it? A child trusts the parent. So the foundation of Christian life is a trust relationship with a father who loves the child and a child who knows that they're loved by the father. It is an emotional encounter that is the root of Christian growth, not an intellectual one. An intellectual one will come back behind that and fill it in. Because the capacity of the child to understand is so limited. And the hallmark of a 
a, a, child, a child-father relationship with God is one where I'm learning how to let my spirit be the center of my life and let my spirit be a child. And I say to my soul, which we remember we talked about the body, soul, and spirit, and the body is the body, and the soul is the intellect, and the psychology, and the spirit is what God t- touches and speaks to. Remember how what Jesus is really trying to say is, as he said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to actually let me parent the spirit in you, and that will keep you solid, alive, and that will be what draws you into the kingdom. But as John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. That is like the soul saying to the spirit, you must increase, I must decrease. Does that make sense to you? So most of the things Jesus is teaching his disciples and is wanting to teach us is upside down. So what is it like to begin to follow Jesus where he is responsible for looking after me? I'm not responsible for impressing him. What is it like to have a relationship with Jesus where I am confident that he is my father, he is my friend, he is my comforter, he is my companion, irrespective of what I do? Because as a parent is totally committed to a child, so God is to us. So your relationship and my relationship with Jesus is not dependent upon you. Other than, Lord, here I am, please become uh, my Lord and Savior. Other than, thank you that you died on the cross. That is the beginning of a relationship. But once that relationship has been conceived, as it were, he says, now come, be my child, let me follow you, let me, let me lead you. Nicodemus was a great intellect and he came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, he said, unless you're born again, unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. God said, he said this, Jesus said the same thing to Nicodemus. He didn't go into a lot of academic discussion. He spoke to the spirit. Because the spirit of a child has a humility that said, God is way above my understanding. I can grasp some things and we should use our intellect But there's a big difference between an intellect that's coming into the presence of the professor and saying, I don't know very much. Then one who comes into a lecture theater and says, prove it to me. Challenges every word the professor says. You don't like teaching those kind of people. It's too much work. Peter was one who challenged Jesus a lot. I love Peter because he did so much outrageous stuff. He was so authentic. And yet when you skim through his, his writings, his letters, in 1, 1 Peter 1.14, for instance, he just throws in a phrase where he says, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children, do not conform. He just throws in that children. The next, uh, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Peter had learned that his great sort of insights weren't that great. 
And in fact, if the whole world had been left to him and he had had taken control of Jesus, there would have been no crucifixion. And it would have been a very different story. Paul, who was Saul, was also a great intellect, a very religious man. You know the story well. And he goes around persecuting Christians because he knows what God says and he knows what God does. And he's got the credentials to back up how he gets to that place. And he can prove that to you theologically. And he goes to Damascus Road to carry out this passionate, zealous, religious, faithful mission for God. And God meets him and says, knocks him off his horse onto the ground and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He is struck blind. And three days later, a very, very insignificant person apparently comes and lays hands on him and says, Saul, God has told me to come and you are to be uh, here to receive your sight back. God's great words to his children are things like, why are you persecuting me? Do you love me? What do you think of me? And Saul, later on, 30 years later or 25 years later, writes to the Corinthians. And he says this, When I came to you, brothers, this is the great intellect and a Christian superstar by this stage. Where Paul went, people were healed. Where Paul went, power was manifest. The closest I've come to this, I've told you before, was in Oxford University with Billy Graham speaking to 700 theological students, all with university degrees. And Billy Graham had the courage to stand up there and say, all I can talk to you about is that Jesus Christ went to the cross for sin, rose from the dead, and is good news for this world. And my respect for him was just amazing. Because you sit in a room full of intellectuals in a place like Oxford and you are sitting in front of an intimidating audience who is cynical and who can read the Bible with Greek and Hebrew and would kill you with intellectual chatter. And Paul says, I came, did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Next week I want to talk about uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. But this week, just to encourage us, in a sense, to go, um, what kind of a child are you right now? How grown up are you with Jesus? How grown up are you in your faith? When you come to people, what do you come with? Great eloquence? Or do you come with simplicity? If I come to you with a disease and I say, I've got this disease and do you know anybody? You say, oh, I know this doctor. Go and see him. He's very good with knees. Or I come to you and I say, I'm going to Victoria tomorrow 
um, we're going to go to a restaurant, you'll say, oh, why don't you go to Pagliati's? It's really cool or one other, you know, something else. If I come to you with probably, have you read a good book recently? Yeah, why don't you read this? Have you seen a good movie? Angels and Demons, by the way, is quite good. Saw it the other night. Surprised me. You talk to children, they're real quick to answer. What games do you like? What do you like? You ask questions, they answer, right? So when people around you who are hurting have coffee with you, or you're going for a walk with them, what comes out of your mouth? I'm not sure whether they like to hear what I've got to say, so I'll keep quiet. Sounds silly. If you want to impact people's lives, and you're going for walks with them, and you care, why would I not tell you about Jesus and his power in my life and that he's my friend, and that without him my life would have no hope, it would have no purpose. Without him I wouldn't be here because my life would have was shattered. Without him there's no song to sing. Without him I look ahead and I go, God, I'm just going to be eking out a life If I can tell you what restaurant to go to, what movie to see, then why doesn't the child in me rise up and say, you know, Bill, I don't know how to help you in that situation, but I do know one who does. It sounds foolish, but God is real, you know. Why aren't we boasting about our Father? Why aren't we boasting about the one who holds us? Why aren't we boasting about our ignorance and how he touches our spirits and makes a difference in our lives? Why are we so silent? We're so silent because we're too grown up. And God says the kingdom is for children, not childishness, humility. A, ch a childlike trust that says, you know, I don't know, but I do know one who does. It's real that simple. It's really that simple. The invitation for us to come as children and for us to live in the kingdom as children. That God loves you more than you understand. And lastly, when you're a child, you live with a real clear awareness of your parents. Somebody invites you out, I've got to ask my mum. What time do I have to be home? And sometimes there's a little rebellion there, but it's always with a very, very sharp understanding of the parent in your mind. And God says, that's how I want to live with my children. I want to live in a relationship where you're always aware of me in a positive way. Sometimes it'll, you know, it'll, it'll challenge you. But I have never created a human being to grow up and leave home. I've never created you to be on your own. I've never created you to be a responsible adult 
in an independent way. I've, I've created you to be healthily dependent and secure in a relationship of love as a child to a father. And as you walk in that, you will indeed enter the promised land and the kingdom. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to pray together and just ask God to make this real for us. So why don't we uh, sing a, a song that is, is an opportunity for us to maybe just say, Lord, yeah, it gets real tiring being responsible and grown up. I'm not talking about being childish, but I need to maybe confess to you that I've taken too much responsibility in the wrong way. And so my relationship with you has got very... It's not playful anymore. It's not a joyful time. It's not where I enjoy being in your presence. And I want to find that again. So as we sing and then as we're going to pray, we're going to pray for God to restore in us the joy of a childhood that is secure in Him, that our lives in Jesus would be from that place of trust and innocence. It's very cool. Listen to two voices in you right now. You're going to have the grown-up who's going to tell you something and you're going to have the child who's going to be saying something. You know who I'd suggest you listen to? Let's sing. Sit be seated. You're just going to sit together for five minutes and talk to Jesus. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you look over us like you looked over your disciples and sometimes you must smile and shake your head and go, oh my. But that doesn't mean you give up. You just want to lead us into better truth, better truth and more truth as you did with Peter and the disciples when they didn't know how to heal that boy. But you're a father who says, do you want to learn? Do you want me to show you? Do you want me to grow you up so that you can... You can do that. Because one day Peter would walk into, a, into that temple with John and he would say, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He learned. And I believe the Lord wants to love each one of us here this morning. I'm not speaking emotional language. I believe he wants to love each one of us at a depth that maybe has got shallower and shallower. So, one of the ways of doing that is to bring yourself before the Lord right now. Bring your heart and your spirit and listen to what's going on in that. And if there's anything that you're afraid of, just give it to Him. If there's anything that's heavy in you, give it to Him. If you have a little child, I remember as a little boy walking into the, my grandmother's house where we lived. I wanted to be helpful and I carried two big bottles of milk and I dropped one. And I was mortified because I was trying to be helpful and ended failing. And we often come into God's presence. We've got all the stuff we're holding on to. And he says, why don't you give it to me? Because it's really hard to hold your hand or to embrace you when you've got all the stuff. 
When lepers don't feel anything, it's a sign of their sickness. When we are numb, it's a sign of how sick we've become. But the lepers could come to Jesus and say, will you heal me? And he said, of course I'm willing to heal you. Some of us are numb. Some of us don't even know how to access our hearts right now. Our minds are talking all the time. And if, if you're in that place, then you can just say, Jesus, will you melt me, please? Because I don't know how to get there myself. But I believe the Lord wants to just draw you back to that place where there is a a delightful innocence and expectancy in your relationship with Him. So when you saw my gorgeous picture when I was four years old and all go, ah, want the children to be still for a minute, please? All the children be still for a minute, please. It's really important. That's all of us, of course, isn't it? Think of what picture would go up on that screen for you. What picture... Can you go back to a place in your life where you see a picture of yourself... Um, where there's joy or where there's the, the youngest you can remember, that's a good memory. And Father, I just pray that you will bring up pictures for us. And if you come from a place of abuse where you don't have one, then you let Jesus bring you a new one because he will. But over this next week, hold that picture before the Lord. A picture of you when you are very young and you have those signs of innocence, you have the trust, maybe you have a good relationship at home and life is kind of a party. And hear the Lord saying, now come into my kingdom like that. Come to me like that. I'm not angry with you. I'm not afraid. You don't need to be afraid of me. I want to help you become what you can't become yourself. And you've become so serious that I can't get in there and help you because you think you have to do it or you should have been able to do it by now. The kingdom is yours. Everything I have is yours, says the Lord. My love is yours, my presence is yours, my future is yours, my truth is yours. I will release you as children to walk alongside your friends and playfully interact with them and you needn't be so afraid anymore about what you're going to say. I want to restore to you the hearts of children. So give Jesus permission, if you like, to just love you like that. To heal things that aren't right. 
see yourself at that age. I'm not doing a psychological sort of suggestive thing here. I'm just trying to help you to access what God's Spirit wants to release in you. Sit on his, sit on his knee as a young child and give him your concerns and give him your pains and give him the stuff that you carry as an adult and he will begin to set that free. Because he'll say to you, as my mother said to me at four, don't worry, it'll be all right, just trust me. Now will you stand, please? And let's just put our hands out and say, Jesus, I receive from you the love of the Father, and I come to you and I stand before you as a child, and I just give you permission to release your spirit in me more. Of course he's been working. He's been working on all of us. I just ask you to do in me whatever it is that you want to continue to do in me, to, to release in me uh, that childlike spirit. So receive the love of the Father. Receive the joy of the Father. Receive his sufficiency for you for this present day and for the rest of your life. Give him responsibility for your life. And what I mean by that is the agenda. You take responsibility for her relationship, but he also takes responsibility. And he looks upon you and he says to you, as he says to every single one of us, he gives you a promise. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. And he says this to you by name right now. Which of you, if his son or daughter asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So receive. And this week maybe. Venture into another di di dimension of a relationship with God where you allow yourself to be more childlike. Become more playful. Allow Him to teach you how to get back into joy and delight and innocence and expectancy. Because He comes and speaks to the Spirit in you this morning and says, You know what? i got some surprises for you. I've got some, some things in store for you that would absolutely make you grin from ear to ear. But I haven't seen you do that for a long, long time. So do you want to rediscover that part of you? Receive the Spirit. Thank Him. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, you receive, you pour out power over this body right now and you release power in every life that is here and you release the child that we are called to be before you. That your kingdom will be manifest among us. So we thank you and we praise you for your goodness.
We pray that the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will rest upon each one here, our families, those whom we love, that we will learn how to be children again. And as we go, let's sing that song again, The Power of Your Love, because it's a song about soaring like an eagle. Spread your wings and let him fill it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.